Let me pray for us. Father, today as we come before you, we ask that you would bless the preaching of your word and that you would strengthen and encourage us through it. We ask that you would bless all those among us who are sick, who are suffering, and that you would strengthen and encourage them. We pray for Jean LaCroix, that you would heal him from his surgery and that you would give health to his body. We pray for your blessing on our pregnant mothers and the babies that they're carrying. We ask again that you would be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's another installment in our Faith of Our Fathers series, which is about our fathers and mothers and their faith. It's a very hard name to understand. So each week we've been talking about someone from the Old Testament and what we can learn from them and how their story applies to us and how their faith is something we can emulate, we can imitate. Today it's Joseph, the story of Joseph, which is awesome. It's also the continuing story of Jacob. You know, the story of a son is always the story of his father, right? And it takes up about the last 13 chapters of Genesis. It's big. It's not as big as the story of Moses, which takes up about three whole books of the Bible. But it's big. Three. I said three. Is that right? That's No, four. Man. Four whole books of the Bible. But it's big enough. And we're going to zoom through it to hit major highlights, kind of like what Nathan did with the story of Jacob. So let me start in Genesis 35, verse 22, just to orient us to where we are and all of Jacob's kids. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve. The sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant, Dan, and Naphtali. The sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant, Gad, and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Paddan Aram. So We've got Joseph and Benjamin, and they're full brothers. There's a lot of half-brothers in this group, right? There's four different wives, or two wives and two concubines, basically. Four different women and 12 sons. Uh, and, and Joseph and Benjamin are the only two born from Jacob's beloved wife, who was Rachel. So remember, Leah, her sister, was Jacob's other wife. And did Jacob love Leah? Eh, yeah, kind of eh. Either no or not very well, not very much. But he loved Rachel. Rachel died giving birth to Benjamin. Benjamin's the very youngest son. And so Joseph and Benjamin are very precious to Jacob, but especially Joseph. He's the reminder of the wife that he loved. And that's what Jacob has. And, and Joseph is simply the favorite. No way around it. He's the favorite. Jacob played favorites. Joseph was the favorite. And Joseph is specially blessed by God, as we'll see. Whenever you see anyone in the Bible who is especially blessed by God, they're going to suffer. <laughs> it's the path of being a Christian. It's the path of being a follower of God. You suffer. All the men we've read about and all their wives have suffered. It's to be expected. And Joseph's going to suffer because of how much his brothers hate him and what they're going to do to him. So I want to give you the main point of this sermon right away. And the main point is what we're going to hear Joseph say to his brothers at the end of the story, which is, he's going to say this to his brothers, As for you, you meant evil against me, 
but God meant it for good. So that's it. That's it. God brings good out of evil for his people. He brings good out of evil. Uh, what the people in our lives mean for evil, what the devil himself means to harm us, destroy us, and beat us down, God is not bothered. God is actually telling the story. He is in charge, and he means that for our good. And that's what he's going to do. Um, he means it for his glory and for our good, and those two things always go together for God's children. So let's keep reading in Genesis 37, verse 2. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. So these guys are shepherds, right? They're shepherds. Joseph, his brother, they're all shepherds. And Joseph is one of the youngest sons. And one day he brings back a bad report. I don't know what it is. They're lazy. They're godless. They go to prostitutes. I don't know. His brothers are not good guys. I'll give you a couple more details about that in a second. Um, But you older kids, um, do you like it when your little brother or sister sees you do something you shouldn't, and then they go to your mom or dad, and they're like, he did it. You like it? Make you, make you happy? Does it make you think, oh, I love my little brother so much because he did that? No one likes this. No one likes this. And Joseph isn't even a full brother to any of these guys. He's a half-brother. That makes it worse. That makes it worse. And then it, he's clearly his dad's favorite. He gets the, the famous robe, right? The robe of many colors, the technicolor dream coat. There it is. It marks him out. You can see him coming in it. Oh, man. Hey, in case it wasn't obvious that I love this son the most, here's a beautiful robe I'm not giving to any of you. Some people think that that was also a way of marking him out as the replacement firstborn. I'm going to count Joseph as the firstborn. Could be. In any case, his brothers can't even say good morning to him anymore. Nope. Uh, And God's about to make him stick out even worse to his brothers. He's about to make him even more hated because he's going to give Joseph some special dreams. Continuing in verse 5, Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. So a sheaf is like a bundle of grain, okay? We were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose, and it stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I've dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the thing in mind. So what if one of you kids, you had a dream. One day you were going to be king. You were going to be queen. And everyone in your family was going to come one day and bow before your throne and say, Your majesty, 
Well, okay, it's one thing if you have a dream like that. It's another thing to go tell everyone about it at breakfast, isn't it? How do you think your family would react if you told them that dream? Maybe your dad would do what Jacob does. If he's a good dad, he probably would, and say, you are too big for your britches. You just zip it. No one needs to hear about your dumb dream. Jacob doesn't say it's a dumb dream. And the problem, actually, here's the problem. These were dreams from God. When you get dreams from God, they tend to have, as we'll see, a kind of a force to them. It's hard not to talk about them. I don't know how much we want to blame Jacob. I've been reading his lines like he's kind of a punk, right? Kind of a little arrogant, a little proud? Maybe. I'm not really sure. It's, I think he's naive. <laughs> Maybe he should... I, I don't know. We don't know how he told... We don't know how he did it. We don't know if he was like... Or if he was just like, I had this crazy dream. And it, it's not a normal dream and I have to tell it. We don't know. We don't know. I think Jacob should have realized, I mean, Jacob has had visions and dreams from God. I think Jacob should have realized, wait a minute, maybe they are dreams from God. And actually, it seems like Jacob didn't just dismiss it because it says he, he remembered it. He tucked it away in his mind, right? So Jacob, Jacob does have a sense. Uh, I don't know that that's actually just a dumb dream. And his brothers, sometimes when we're preparing our sermons, we read, from a guy named John Calvin, who was really a helpful theologian. Calvin, Calvin's like, if you really want to explain the brothers' total hatred of Joseph, well, you have to believe that they were like, they felt like this dream might be true. It doesn't make as much sense otherwise. Because it's like, not only is Joseph the favorite, not only is he this holy roller who's going to tell on us when we do bad stuff, he's getting this dream, he's going to rule over us, and he is the favorite. And he is, in some sense, better than us. Well, so maybe they actually took it to heart. And that helps explain their hatred. Sometimes we don't like the people that bring us God's word. Sometimes we don't like the people who bring any messages from God to us. That's often, it's, it's often easier to dislike them when they're younger. <laughs> You're younger. You haven't been a Christian as long as me. You don't have the experiences I do. Who do you think you are to talk to me? You know, we can be like that. You, you don't know how to be diplomatic yet. You're not gentle. You're just kind of a punk. And so we can dismiss people who talk to us and share God's truth with us. But we're wrong. And Joseph's brothers were wrong in the way that they respond to them. I've tried to give them a little bit of sympathy, right? The youngest brother and just all this stuff. But let's not give them too much sympathy. I mean, their dad was playing favorites. I think that's the worst thing. That's the hardest thing for them. But what's really happening is that Joseph was showing his brothers up. We don't like it when people show us up. What's really happening is pride. And are these brothers really bad people? They are. <laughs> They're bad people. I mean, for instance, Reuben is the firstborn. Reuben slept with one of his dad's wives. Gross. Simeon and Levi... There's a story of them taking this vicious and bloody revenge on this man in his city. It's gross. It's murderous. Judah? Judah goes to a prostitute who turns out to be his daughter-in-law. These are not good men. They are not good men. Even if Joseph were a punk, which I do doubt, or it's hard to tell, you know, how much, their hatred for him is evil. Uh, you know what Joseph is going to do to his brothers later in the story? 
Well, he's going to do several things, actually. But one thing he's going to do is he's going to repay their evil with good. And in response to their hate, he's going to be kind and generous. That's the kind of man that he is. That's what he's going to do. So when we see people with gifts that we don't have and who have something to tell us, and they're younger than us, we should thank God for them. We should bear with them. We should, we should humble ourselves. So what happens next is that Jacob sends Joseph off to check on his brothers. They're out pasturing the sheep some distance away. And when Joseph is still far off, they see him coming. Thank you, multicolored coat. Make it easy to see our little brother coming. And they're like, hey, let's kill him. Let's just kill him. That's the kind of men that they are. Um, Now, I'm not going to do this all through the sermon, but we keep talking about types and shadows, right? We keep saying, hey, there are shadows of Jesus in in the Old Testament. So tell me if this story sounds familiar to you. A beloved son is sent to God's people, and they hate him and want to kill him. Sound familiar? Story of Jesus. Joseph is a type of Jesus. He's one of Jesus's shadows. All right. So they want to kill Joseph. Reuben, the oldest brother, has more of a conscience than the others, actually. And he's like, no, 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 don't kill him. Just here, throw him, in, throw him into this pit. And Reuben's intention, we learn, is to rescue him. So Reuben isn't totally bad. And Reuben doesn't maybe have enough courage to just say no. But he does have enough courage to say, don't kill him. It's something. So they're like, fine, throw him in the pit. Throw him in a pit. Reuben goes off. They, they eat dinner. They made sure to take off Joseph's robe. I mean, you can witness this, right? Like, hey, oh, is your robe. Did you want it? Did you want it? You're not so special now, are you? Not so special now. They sit down to eat. They're not really bothered by Joseph pleading and begging for his life, as far as he knows. And as they're eating, they see a caravan of merchants going to Egypt. And they're like, oh, hey. Judah says, you know what? Maybe it is a good idea to not just murder him. Maybe we could just sell him. Sell him as a slave. And then, you know, we got rid of him. And we didn't kill him. And the other guys are like, yeah, good idea, bro. Put her there. Yeah, let's sell him. So they sell him. Reuben comes back. He's like, what have you done? Reuben tears his robes, which, remember, is a way of expressing grief, anguish. You tear your clothes. He's like, what am I going to do? Now, why does Reuben, like, why is Reuben the one with a conscience? Why is Reuben the one who's like, what am I going to do? Someone might have said, I can't really hear you. But he's the firstborn. He's the firstborn. He's the one who feels the responsibility, right? The weight of carrying on his family name and caring for his dad. He's the one who feels it. But it's too late. Like, Joseph is gone. He's, he's done been sold. So they kill a goat, and they dip Joseph's robe in the blood, and they take it to their dad, and they're like, Hey, Dad, um, could you identify if this belongs to your son? Which I think is so cold. Does this belong to our brother? No, they don't even say that. Does this belong to your son? Well, Jacob's heart is broken. It's just, it's awful. He feels like his life just ended. <laughs> he starts mourning. He starts crying. 
And he more or less says to his sons and daughters when they try to comfort him, stop trying to comfort me. Let me tell you what my life is now. Here's my life. One day, I'll die, and I'll be with my son in the grave. That's my life. Like, leave me alone. So this is the beginning of the suffering of Jacob and Joseph. I mean, if, at this point, if you've ever suffered something awful, you, should, you have an inkling of how they feel, right? You got an inkling. Um, I don't know why this is happening to me. I don't see why God would do this to me, maybe. I don't see how this is part of God's plan. I don't see how this could serve a good purpose. This is just bad. It's just pain. It's sin. It's awful. It's darkness. I can't see the light. Jacob felt that. Betting Joseph felt that. My story is not going to have a happy ending. It ends like this. It ends bad. But it doesn't. (laughs) It doesn't. They're wrong. It's not true. What these brothers mean for evil, God means for good. Good for Joseph. Good for Jacob. And even good to the stinking no-good brothers. Even good for them. So I want to pass very quickly over what happens to Joseph in Egypt over the next 13 years because I want to quickly get back to Joseph and his brothers. So here's the Cliff Notes version. Joseph gets sold to a man named Potiphar. Potiphar is a high-ranking official to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. He's the captain of the guard. God blesses Joseph. He's promoted to the manager of Potiphar's house. The problem is that Potiphar's wife wants to seduce him. Joseph won't be with her. She accuses him of rape. Potiphar is enraged and throws him in prison. Bam! Now he's in prison. He's there for years. But God blesses him there too. He becomes kind of like the head prisoner. Basically, he's managing the prison. Uh, It's clear that God is with him. God is blessing everything he does. Joseph has skills. Joseph has talents. Joseph has an integrity that's obvious to people around him. Oh, I could trust this guy with anything. He will not betray my trust, and he's super competent. Okay, how does he get out of prison? Well, he ends up interpreting the dreams of a couple of high-ranking officials of Pharaoh's court that are thrown into the prison. They have dreams. They're troubled by the dreams. He's like, what's going on? They're like, ah, here are our dreams. He, and he, he interprets the dreams, and the dreams come true. One guy gets the rope. He's hanged by Pharaoh. Whatever he did to displease Pharaoh, we don't know. That guy's the baker. The other guy is the cupbearer. He gets restored to office. Joseph is like, hey, remember me when you go back, you know, to the world outside prison. The guy forgets him. Another two years go by until Pharaoh has a dream. Pharaoh has a couple of dreams that really bother him. No one of his magicians and his wise men in his court can interpret it. And the cupbearer is like, oh, snap. There's this guy. I met him in prison. He interpreted my dream. Here's what happened. I bet he could help. Pharaoh's like, fine, that sounds great. I'll take any help I can get. Bring him out. Bring him up. So they get Joseph out of prison. They clean him up. They bring him in. Sure enough, he interprets the dreams. The dreams are about how there's going to be seven years of famine right after seven years of plenty. So you got seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine so bad that it could kind of destroy Egypt. And then Joseph's like, this is what's going to happen. God's given me the interpretation. Also, here's what I think you should do to be ready for this famine. Here's here's what I would do. Pharaoh's like, this guy has divine wisdom. Like the gods are with him. Where else are we going to find a guy like this? You're hired, Joseph. You're hired. Here's my special ring. Here's my special necklace. Get in my second best chariot. Ride through Egypt. You're in charge of everything. 
only person who outranks you is me. You know, come back and talk to me if something goes really bad, but you can handle this. Oh, by the way, here's a wife. Suddenly, Joseph is at the top. God has exalted him. He's at the top. He's the number two dude in the land of Egypt. And he has a wife. He, he has two sons. God, God's brought him there, but we're not done yet because we have some family business to finish. We're not done yet. Now, the dream's going to come true. Joseph knows that. So he starts gathering grain against the famine. There's not going to be any food anywhere but in Egypt because God gave special advance warning to Pharaoh. And soon the famine hits and people are desperate and they're coming to Egypt to buy grain, which means they're coming to Joseph. Joseph is the one managing all of this. He's there. His boots on the ground. Who else, who else needs food? Who else is hungry? Ah, uh, Jacob and his sons. And their father tells them, hey, stop sitting around. Go to Egypt. Buy some grain so we don't starve. So they go. And they leave their youngest brother Benjamin behind. And this is 13 to 15 years. I guess it has to be more than 13 years since they sold their brother into slavery. Because he started at age 17. Now he's 30. And then probably a couple of years go by. Maybe even seven years go by. I'm not totally sure until the famine hits. So that would make it, what? That would make it like, uh, if I can do math on the fly, 24 years, 24, 25 years, something like that. All right. It's been a while. It's been a minute. So they arrive. They go to the storehouse. And there's Joseph. Um, but they don't recognize him. And how could they? How could they? He's not a teenager with dirt on his face, crying, yelling, please, 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 please. You know. He's a man. He's a man in charge. He's basically an Egyptian prince. And he's dressed like it. They don't recognize him. Oh, but he recognizes them. Never forget those faces. Never forget those faces that put you in a pit and sold you as a slave. No. And Joseph gets a little tricksy. Joseph is like... It says, actually, Joseph remembers the dream that he had. He remembers the dream about them bowing down, and he's like, I think it's time. <laughs> I think it's time. Joseph wants to test his brothers. He wants to test his brothers. There's some, you could say it this way if you wanted. There's some relational and emotional work to do before we're going to trust each other again. And I think I can figure out how to get us there. So he puts on his angry face and he puts on his angry voice and he says, Who are you? You're spies. You're spies. What do you want? No, 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 we're not spies. Explain yourselves. So they start explaining. Well, we, we're, our dad is back in Canaan and we're, we're 10 out of 12 brothers and there's one brother still at home. One brother is no more. But we're just, we're just coming to buy grain. We've got a big household. We're just... No, you're spies. And I won't believe you until you bring me your youngest brother to prove that what you're saying is true. Otherwise, by the life of Pharaoh, you're spies. Put him in prison to think about it. So they're in prison for three days. Shaken up, I can guarantee you. What is going on? <laughs> After three days, he gets them out. He's like, look... I'm a reasonable man. Here's what we'll do. One of you will stay here. 
while the rest of you go and get your younger brother, and then you won't die. Go on back, take your grain. And here's what they say. I'm going to start reading in chapter 42, verse 21. Just skip down to where you have to, Zach, sorry. Then they said to one another, in truth, and remember, they're talking in Hebrew, right? Not, not in Egyptian. So, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us, and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy, but you did not listen? So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. <laughs> they did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them, and he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. Okay, so they know they're guilty. What Joseph doing is confronting them with their guilt, right? Without telling them. And these brothers recognize that actually it's God confronting them with their guilt. They get, they get it. This is because of what we did to Joseph. Sorry, this, the story of Joseph, actually, just when I'm reading it by myself, it makes me cry. <laughs> so if I start crying, I, you know, I'll get over it. I'll get through it. Um, Joseph, Joseph can't handle it. I mean, all the emotions come back to him. He just can't handle it. He has to step, step away for a minute to cry. There's a lot of, there's a lot of crying in this story. <laughs> so then he gets himself together. He sends his brothers away. But when they get home, they are horrified <laughs> to find that their money has been put back in the top of their sacks, because now it's going to look to this really aggressive Egyptian prince like they stole the money back. Joseph is, he's loading it on them. He's loading on the pressure and the stress. I think it's so funny that he's loading it on by blessing them, because he gave them their money back, but it's like this awful prank that's also a blessing, right? <laughs> so they tell their aging father, Jacob, everything that's happened. You can imagine how this goes, uh, Dad... <laughs> we need to take uh, Benjamin back to Egypt to see this really aggressive Egyptian lord because he's mad at us. He thinks we're spies. By the way, Simeon's in prison there. <laughs> and uh, by the way, he's going to be even angrier than he was because <laughs> we didn't manage to pay him. <laughs> uh, yeah, Jacob takes that really well. You told him about Benjamin? You're not taking Benjamin. You lost Simeon? You're trying to kill me. <laughs> oh, my sons are getting taken away from me. No, you can't go back with Benjamin. You nuts. <laughs> Reuben has a great plan. Reuben's like, come on, Dad, let us take Benjamin. Look, if he dies, just kill my two sons. That'll make it even, even Stephen. Oh, what a great idea, Reuben. <laughs> no! No, that's not a good plan. <laughs> so they just sit and they eat their grain. And it, the grain's not lasting forever. It starts to run out. And eventually Jacob's like, look, go back, buy us some more food. And Judah's like, Dad, we can't just go back. We have to take Benjamin. And then an interesting thing happens, which is that Judah 
convinces his dad to let Benjamin come. <laughs> Genesis 43.8, And Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the boy with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. This is interesting. Judah is taking responsibility. He doesn't say, hey, kill my sons if I don't come back with your sons. (laughs) Right? He says, look, I'll be personally guilty of his blood if I don't bring him back. I'll be a pledge of his safety. And the word there for pledge better translation would be surety, surety, which is still a legal term today. It just means that you take full responsibility for another person, full responsibility in this case for his brother's life. So let me ask you this. Do you know anyone who has been a surety for you? Yeah, that's right. It's Jesus. Yeah, Jesus took full responsibility for you to the point of dying for your sins on the cross. Jesus is our surety. Okay, something is different about Judah. I don't think this is the same guy who just was like, eh, let's kill Joseph. Oh, okay, fine, we'll sell him into slavery. I don't think so. And Jacob says, okay, yeah, you can go. Look, take the money that you originally took. Then take double the money to pay for the next batch of grain. And then take some other gifts too. And, and take my son. And may God have mercy on you. So that's faith on Jacob's part. He has not had an easy life. Benjamin is the last thing he has to remind him of his wife Rachel, his son Joseph. But he gives Benjamin to his brothers, which means that he actually is entrusting his son to God. That's what he's doing. He has to, unless he wants everyone in his family to starve. But it's not easy When we're suffering, do we trust God? Do we take that next step? Or would we rather starve than suffer the fear and insecurity that can come when you step out in faith? I mean, Jacob was still bleeding over the loss of Joseph all these years later, but he did have faith. And what are you going through right now where you need to entrust yourself, your most precious relationships, your kids, your money, to God? What is it? So Joseph's brothers go back to him, and they take Benjamin, and when they arrive, Joseph's servants bring out Simeon. Simeon is just fine. I mean, what do you bet he's been eating better than they have? I think he's been very well treated. And there's Joseph again. And they bow down before him, just like in the dream. And he says, how's your old father? Is he still alive? And then he sees Benjamin. And he says, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then he has to leave because he's about to start crying again. He's not going to let his brothers see that. Not yet. So he, he runs off to his room really abruptly. He cries there for a while, then he cleans himself up, and then he goes back out, and they have a feast. Now the brothers do not know what to make of this guy. So first he terrifies us with accusations. And then he takes Simeon prisoner and demands that we bring our other brother. And now he's really friendly for some reason. We're having this feast with him. And he's putting five times as much of the steak on Benjamin's plate as on anyone else's plate. Like, what is going on? 
So Joseph is almost done with his games, but not quite. So he tells his head servant, all right, give them their grain. <laughs> Put their money back in their sacks again. And then take my special silver cup that I drink with and put it in Benjamin's sack. Let them get out of the city on their way, and then you run after them and you say, Who stole my master's cup? (laughs) Oh, man. The brothers make it out of the city. They're like, that went strangely well. We're all together. Everything's fine. We've got the grain. Who's that coming up behind us with soldiers? You, you stop. You stole my master's silver cup. You repaid evil for good. Whoa, no, we didn't. Look, whoa, hold on. Like, if anyone stole your master's cup, it, like that guy, he's dead. You can kill him. And the rest of us will be your slaves, okay? But we didn't do it. Like, you can, the guy's like, yeah, that sounds good. I like what you said. Whoever stole the cup, he'll be our slave. Now, why don't you open your sacks and check? It's not here. It's not here. It's, oh, no. It's the worst outcome of all. It's in Benjamin's sack. And all the brothers tear their clothes because they can't handle it. Their father is not going to be able to handle it. Benjamin's going to be dead or a slave or something. Their dad's probably just going to die. So they all go back into the city to face Joseph and they bow down to him again. And Joseph is like, what have you done? (laughs) And Judah is the one who answers. Judah He's the surety. He's the one taking responsibility. (laughs) And he says, you're right. We're guilty. And now we're your slaves. Which is actually a little tricky of Judah because what he's doing is saying, not Benjamin, but all of us together, right? He's diffusing the blame. He's starting to negotiate a little. You see that? Like Judah's like, I'm going to make this the best that I can. Um, And Joseph's like, no, that's okay. You don't all need to be my slaves. Only one of you is guilty. Bring him here. He'll be our slave. rest of you, you know, go in peace. Oh, man. So then the most amazing thing happens. Uh, maybe my favorite thing in the story. Judah gives the most beautiful speech in the book of Genesis. I, it's it's, it's kind of long. I'm not going to read it. You should read it. But it's a plea. It goes something like this. Please. Please, my Lord, we can't leave Benjamin here. Listen, my father's life is bound up with the life of this son. He's the only one left of his mother. His father loves him. I'm surety for my brother. I promised I would take responsibility. Please take me as a slave. Please let my brother go. I couldn't bear to see how much my father would be hurt by losing Benjamin. It would be such an evil thing for him. This is not the same Judah. It's not the same person. Remember that Joseph is a type of Christ. So is Judah, because Judah is the one who at this moment is giving his life in place of his condemned brother. Do you see that? Make sense? So, Joseph, he loses it completely. He's He's done with his disguise, you know. I think it has to have been that the tenderness and love that he saw in his brother, just finished him. So, <clears throat> I don't know what you could say when you see Judah, except, man, God can change anyone's heart. Um, so this is, this is the longest section I'll read. Genesis 45, starting verse 1. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him. 
When Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. He's loud. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life, for the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me. You and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you. For there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt, and of all that you have seen, hurry, and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck, and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. What's happening here is something that seems impossible. It's just not humanly possible. It's forgiveness. It's reconciliation. It's not cheap. It's not easy. It certainly hasn't been fast. In fact, it's been years in the making, years of Joseph suffering and trusting God, and years of God working on the heart of at least Judah, and I think maybe the other brothers too. There aren't any shortcuts in this kind of thing. If you want to get right with someone who hurt you, there's no shortcuts. To be trusting someone doesn't mean trusting them right away. Forgiving someone doesn't mean trusting them. You know, there's a lot we could say. And Joseph has taken time to work out his emotions with his brothers. That's clear, right? Oh, man, he's kind of put them through the ringer. But it wasn't vengeance. It wasn't because he hated them. He just had to work some things out and see how they were going to respond. And he did. Man, Judah's speech was not manipulation. Judah had changed. Something was different. God had been at work. And listen to Jacob's faith in what he says. It was not you who sent me here, but God. And listen to his forgiveness and kindness. Do not be angry with yourselves because of what you did to me. Man, when Jacob's sons tell him, Joseph's alive and in charge of Egypt. (laughs) Let's go. We're moving. Jacob, of course, can't really process that. It takes him a minute. But then he sees the chariots or the wagons that Joseph sent to carry them all. And he's like, I guess you can't be lying. Okay, I'm going to go see Joseph before I die. (laughs) And so he goes. There's his son back from the dead. He meets Pharaoh. He gives Pharaoh a blessing, (laughs) which is a great little thing. Jacob giving Pharaoh a blessing. He meets Joseph's two sons. He gives them a blessing. They're each going to be a tribe in Israel. That's how blessed Joseph is. His sons, each of his sons become a tribe. That's why there's no tribe of Joseph. It's because the tribes of Joseph are 
the tribe of Manasseh and the tribe of Ephraim. And all the brothers get the nicest land in Egypt. They get the riches of Egypt. They get to live there. They're safe. Now, when their father Jacob dies at 147 years old, the brothers think, now hold on a second, dad is dead. What if now is the time that he's like, I'm going to kill those brothers? <laughs> They're like, oh man. What if he wants to have some bloody revenge on us for what we did to him? What if he's just been waiting? So they go to him and they say, please forgive us, we did you wrong. They actually bow before him a third time. And it makes Joseph cry. <laughs> Genesis 50, 19. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. When I, when I preached on Isaac a few weeks ago, I talked a lot about how God's in control of the story, right? And we're not. That's true. You can't read the Bible. You can't read this story without seeing that. But I wanted to add something. I wanted to add, what good is knowing that God is in control if you don't think that God is good, that he loves you, that he's your father in heaven? If you don't think that he's kind and patient with your sins and your foolishness, he is. He's your father. God doesn't just want to control us. He wants us to be free. He is He's sovereign. Right? That's the big theological word we use for God's control. And he is the main character of the story he's telling, but he's our father. And he uses the very worst things in our lives for our good. What other kind of God could comfort us? Tell me that. A God who doesn't have the power to stop evil. A God who's kind of at the mercy of the devil's plans. Oh, like a chess game. Right? Oh, God made a good move, but oh, the devil had a good move in response. Darn. That kind of God? Is that some kind of comfort? No. God is sovereign over all the evil in our lives. Look, here, when Jacob went in to bless Pharaoh, you know what he said? He said, Pharaoh's like, how old are you? Because <laughs> he's old. He's clearly old. Jacob's like, I'm 130 years old, and the days of my life have been few and evil, which I think is hilarious. Here's the summary of my life. Yeah, I'm pretty old, but actually it's not really that old. And it's all been terrible. <laughs> then later, when Jacob gives a blessing to Joseph's two sons, you know what he says? He says, God is my shepherd, and God has redeemed me from all evil. So put those two things together. My life has been hard and bad. God has redeemed me from all that stuff, right? The evil we suffer is real. But whatever evil God has permitted in our lives, God will bring us through it and save us from it if we trust in him. And at the end of the day, well, that, that was Jacob's life. That was Joseph's life. And I want to say that was especially Jesus' life. I mean, Jesus came down to suffer with us and to suffer for us. And he did. He suffered shame, torture, murder. When the apostle Peter preached about that to the Jews on the day of Pentecost, he said, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, it's God's plan, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. It was God's plan, and you did evil as part of God's plan. And then he goes on to tell those same Jews, trust in Jesus so that you could be saved from the sin of putting Jesus to death. You meant it for evil. Guess what? God meant it for good. 
You wanted to crucify the Son of God. God's like, when you do that, that will be the means of salvation even for the people who crucified him. That's our God. There's nothing so evil that God can't use it for good. Nothing. And there's nothing that Satan can do that God doesn't turn for his glory and for our good. So trust God with your life. Trust him with what you're going through. And he will use all of it for good if you trust in him. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the life of Joseph. Please help us to have the faith that he did for the evil and suffering he experienced. He knew it was part of your plan for good. Father, help us to hold this in our hearts. Please bring us through the evil and suffering in our lives. Bring good out of it, we pray. Good for us, good for our families, even good for our enemies. And glory for you. In Jesus' name, amen.